number 767. Please be barking that, and we'll sing that a bit later in the service today. We just sang a song about walking in sunlight. And aren't we thankful that we have, in fact, the S-O-N light, the sunlight from Jesus Christ our Lord. In John 8, verse number 12, it says, Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You and I are convicted, absolutely convinced, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, and that He came and made it possible for us to go to heaven. The lesson today, as you can already tell from the title, surround our mental preparation and our physical preparation for the events that will transpire beginning one week from today. Our gospel meeting is now practically upon us. There are a lot of things, though, for you and me to keep in mind to make sure that that meeting is the success that God would have it to be. And today we're going to describe or at least discuss from the Bible some of those matters for your benefit and mine. But let me just begin by saying, we know that, of course, the schedule will be a little bit unusual next Sunday. Our morning services at 9.30 and 10.30 as usual. But then we'll have a fellowship meal where we'll get to, to meet Brother Sane a little bit better. And then, of course, after that meal, we'll have a Sunday afternoon service at 2 o'clock. So that'll give an opportunity for you and me to, to enjoy a great day together, invite others to come and be a, be a part of it as well. And then at Monday through Wednesday at 7 p.m. nightly. This opening slide is one that will begin to move us to a closer consideration of this gospel meeting. There are several questions it would seem to me fair to at least consider. Some of them are these. Why have a gospel meeting? What are my obligations to it? What things do we hope for it? Now, those are pretty basic ideas. I would suggest that for any activity in life, if I don't have answers to those questions, then likely at least my part in it will not be what it ought to be, and it likely won't be as successful as it could be. Our desire for this meeting is, of course, for it to praise and exalt the name of God appropriately. And so today's lesson, we're going to try to answer those questions. You can perhaps see at the bottom... I've asked or at least tried to write down some of the things that probably are very fair to, 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 to consider. The first two I've asked you to consider, first of all, those last ones. You know, there's a lot of gospel meetings that take place. If you think about the number of churches of Christ in Putnam and Jackson, Smith and Overton and all these counties, well, we have these gospel meetings. Is this just a tradition? Is just something we do once, maybe twice a year, just so we can say we've done it? If that's the way we feel, probably this is going to be an unmitigated disaster. The reasons are much better than that. Again, what are they? Why have we planned for this for months and months in terms of making sure Brother Sane was on our calendar and ensuring all the aspects and features of it? Let's talk about it for the next few moments this morning. It begins with this one. So what is a gospel meeting? Let's try to take a moment and at least solidify in our thinking, what do we mean by this phrase, gospel meeting? First thing I'd point out, that exact phrase doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible. You can go to no verse of Scripture and see the exact phrase, gospel meeting. But the point of it, the idea of it, the sense of it is practically on every New Testament page. 
It is all over the place, as we're about to see very carefully and with powerful notice in a moment. Could I direct your attention back to that text that Cale read just a moment ago? In 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, you'll find with me that verse and the one that follows, a reference to this amazing idea, this remarkable fact teaching not only the nature of the Word of God, but how that the premises follow the amazing thought of a couple of verses earlier. Would you note with me now the division of the Bible and chapters, God didn't do that. If you go back to verse 16 of chapter 3, probably the most well-known verse in all of 2 Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as is appearing in His kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. That's reading through verse 5 of chapter 4. But you'll notice after highlighting the nature of the Word of God, the fact it's inspired, that it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction and instruction, he then says, Timothy, I charge you. Timothy, I charge you. Paul gave Timothy this directed message. You, I am giving this order, this commission. Why? Because there's coming a day of judgment. He's going to judge the quick and the dead as appearing in his kingdom. Timothy, you must be earnest and urgent to preach the word. Do it when they like it and do it when they don't. Do it when it's convenient and when it's not. You do it in season and out of season. This season is one for the Pippin Church when it's our desire to have this gospel meeting, to carry out the impression, the message, the willful desire that's presented in the Word of God. You'll thus notice, I've tried to identify that this really is an especial effort on our part. The exact wording I've put like this. A gospel meeting is a special occasion of focus in light of the gospel with the objective to teach those that are lost, to edify those that are faithful, to warn those that are wayward. In other words, our central focus is to lift our eyes above the horizon, the mundane matters of this life. It is easy, isn't it, for us to become almost exclusively directed, go to work, eat, Feed my family. Take care of these ongoing matters. And I kind of allow the gospel and the ultimate well-being of my soul to slip to the background, to fall basically to a second place at best. This meeting hopefully will redirect all of our vision if it has slipped to where it's got to be. A gospel meeting. In fact, one more thing. Look at some of these verses. Although that phrase, again, exactly doesn't appear in Acts, what is it that Paul did? Beginning in Acts 13, isn't it true that there, that church in Antioch gathered some men together 
and commissioned them that as they journeyed to distant places, they'd preach the gospel and establish congregations. And so Paul and Barnabas went on the first journey. We find on occasion they met with a bit of unsuccess. The people didn't like what they had to say, and sometimes they were almost run out of town. But they'd go to the next town. They'd shake the dust off their feet and plant the gospel in a new place. And as they did that, thankfully there were many who did respond with power and majesty, thankful for the message, and in fact even insisted, we want you to come back and preach again next Sunday. Now, I'm paraphrasing that text in Acts 14, but isn't that what happened? Those Gentiles were so excited about the message that they, in fact, earnestly desired, would you come and speak to us some more? Those people were encouraged. They were rejuvenated. They were enlivened. They were enlightened. That's what we hope this gospel meeting does. Look at the next item, if you would. We're going to plan a special series of assemblies. It'll be, of course, a bit different than usual. Normally, I teach the Sunday morning class. Brother Sane's going to do that next Sunday. He's going to deliver the message, and then all throughout the meeting, he's planned these messages in a rather directed way, no doubt surrounding a theme, highlighting the gospel, the precious nature of souls, and the encouragement that all of us need to live faithfully. The devil wants us to become discouraged. He wants us to get tired and weary in our religion and to be satisfied and content with what is not acceptable with God. This meeting is to stir us up and to make sure we aren't falling into that trap. Let's close that slide like this. The emphasis, as we noted a moment ago then, will surround evangelism and edification. There are those in your life and mine who are lost. People that have never obeyed the gospel. People who maybe at one time were faithful Christians, but right now they're lost because they have chosen to walk away from what Jesus did for them. Those classes of people are not going to go to heaven like this. This meeting is a particular effort on our part to set before them the urgency of the moment, the critical nature of the hour, and to insist that they, in fact, at least understand we care enough about them that we want them to appreciate what we've got. But by the same token, we also know that each of us, this is an opportunity for a Christian to be stirred up. Not as though we're pursuing a life of sin, but to remain in our heart and our mind a conviction that by the Bible is right. And that no matter what else is true, we're going to be faithful. We need that kind of encouragement too. And this meeting, of course, under the oversight of our elders, will have that benefit and that effect. If that's what a gospel meeting is, let's now turn and in some way be more specific. Why do we have one? I mentioned a moment ago all kinds of gospel meetings in the Putnam County, Jackson County, and these other areas throughout the course of a given, a given year. But I thought I would present these in the following way. There are times when maybe you've been in conversation with someone and they make a comment like this, well, it's the time of the year for the gospel meeting again. It's almost as though for a comment like that, it has merely become a habit. 
We have one just because we have one. There is no other good reason. As I mentioned, if that's all that we're thinking about this, probably the meeting is not going to go very well. Now, it won't deter Brother Sane and it won't deter the message, but let's face it, in order to have the effect, you have to have more than a teacher. You have to have a learner. I face that at school a lot. You can have a whole classroom full of students, and you can even have an effective teacher, even if it isn't me. But there can be no real learning, despite a good teacher, if there's not people willing to learn. Well, if that's true at school, is it any less true here? If you or I come to the services, but our mind is somewhere else, on a ball game, on lunch, on work tomorrow, whatever else it is, it doesn't matter. If my heart isn't in it, am I going to learn anything? Is the message going to have any impact really upon me? Well, it's almost certain the answer is no, because I probably didn't even hear what was said. My mind was somewhere else. That kind of idea reminds us again, it's not merely a tradition. Or may I at least say, if it is, we've got to change it. Because, note some of these verses. There were times in the Bible when individuals pursued things out of tradition and they were wrong. Aren't you reminded about Paul? There was a time in his life when, remember, Jesus had already died and Paul not yet had traveled that road to Damascus. He thought Jesus was an imposter. He thought the Lord was a fake. He didn't think anything about the nature of the church being real. But yet it was. And yet in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul said, I zealously pursued the traditions of my fathers. He was given a tradition all right, but it wasn't a wholesome one. And so let us make sure that our viewpoint, our approach to the gospel meeting is not just an annual tradition. It is richer, more thrilling, more needful than that. Let's look at the next idea. Furthermore, the gospel meeting is not merely a time of social activity. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it'll be an unusual time for the services. Again, they're at 2 o'clock on Sunday for the afternoon and not our usual 5.30. But during the week, we'll have some visitors come be with us, perhaps friends and neighbors and those we know from sister congregations. We love to have them, and we're glad they're here. But we didn't plan this just to give us an opportunity to see them. Again, we're thankful they've come, but that's not the only reason. Let's face it, we could see them, go to their house and see them. We want the gospel to be proclaimed without apology, without a compromise. And we want ourselves to be earnest and ardent listeners to it. And we want those who are not Christians to be urgently encouraged to become so. So it's not merely a time of social convenience. Let's look at another thing. We don't have a gospel meeting just to put our name in the paper. You know, there are times when maybe that kind of thought could cross our mind. Well, this gives us a good time to advertise. We're thankful that the Word of Christ goes outward. Didn't Paul pray in the light of the Thessalonians? Brethren, pray for us that the Word of God may have free course. He was thankful that the message of truth could be heard far and wide. But again, we don't just do this to give us some excuse for, for advertisement. 
We do it because we're genuinely concerned that the gospel is the only answer to the ills of the human family. It is the only answer to what plagues the, to the matter of humanity. And it's the only thing that can lead a body to heaven. So if it's not those things, what about the bottom of the slide? The reason we do this is to herald the matters of truth. Now, of course, here in the congregation, we support some missionaries in far distant places like Hungary and India and even some in North Carolina and other places. We delight in the work those men are doing. But we know there's lost people right here. There's lost people within a stone's throw of this church building. There's lost people who work near you and me every day. This gives us an opportunity to especially invite them Hope that they come and make it a, a, a place where they'll feel comfortable enough to want to come back. We intend for them to find the truth here. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul wrote, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God, which is the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It excites us to think that we stand for what is unmovable, the truth. Generations, civilizations, nations and peoples may come and go, but the truth will never, ever change. You, have, you and I have the privilege of defending it, proclaiming it, heralding it, and resting assured that not only will that lead to a benefit for us, but for all of those who hear. It is with that in mind we close that slide and note the urgency that Paul felt. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe isn't to me if I preach not the gospel. I know Brother Sane's going to feel that way, and we're delighted he's coming to be with us. Now, he actually lives in a fairly distant place from here. He lives over near the Pulaski area in Tennessee. He, in fact, has had a very great business in terms of publishing Bible-related materials. The Sane Publishing Company. In fact, some of the greatest things about at least the King James Version, his publishing company produces. And so it's a wonderful thing that all around the world, tracts and books and pamphlets and articles and documents that his company has published are available. No doubt many precious souls have come to know the truth through those efforts. But he's coming in person here with us. And as he does that, he is going to be equipped with the gospel of Christ. As he proclaims it and preaches it, we're going to encourage him. And we're going to, of course, insist that as we do all these things, our meeting will bring a glory and it will bring a great exaltation to the Word of God. One final thing as we at least give thought to that one. In 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 3, Paul began his message in essence to the Corinthians with these kinds of sentiments. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul came to Corinth, it was his note that many things he might could have talked about, but nothing was needful except the gospel. As Brother Sane comes, he's going to come in that same way. He ain't going to bring a message from the Wall Street Journal or Scientific American or the features, let's say, of other publications like National Geographic. That's not our interest. And it's not his interest either. The interest is the blessed gospel of Christ. 
No wonder then when those things said. We're going to hope then in this meeting to stir the hearts, not only of us, but of others, visitors that come with the truth of God. And as that stirring takes place, we're going to try with these three specifics in mind. First, there are those present who will be faithful Christians. We want to encourage them to don't ever give up. Don't ever get weary. Be not weary in well-doing, Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. Be not weary. Even a Christian could get discouraged. We want this gospel meeting to encourage even those that may be on the verge of becoming faint-hearted. But not only those that are Christians, there may well be wayward Christians. That is to say, individuals who once were faithful, but they no longer are. They've walked away from salvation. They've chosen to live in a way that's disgraceful to, to, the, to the law of Christ. We want any people in that circumstance... We want their heart to race a little faster during the message. We want during the singing for their pulse to increase a little bit and their hands to get a bit sweaty because they're bothered by what they hear. They know that they're not right with God. If they die in that case, they're lost. We want them to be sufficiently agitated that they do something about it. Namely, respond positively to the, to the Lord's invitation. But by the same token, there might be those present who've never become a Christian and they've reached an age of being able to do so. To those individuals, we too want them to be a bit disturbed as they hold up what Brother Saint preaches versus their life. We want them to see they don't match. And in their current state, all is not well. We want them too to perhaps to be prompted by this and maybe to want to know more. Maybe they want to have a Bible study with you or me. Maybe they ultimately will come to realize what they need to do to become a Christian, and they too will, will become one. No wonder with that said, we can close that slide by looking at point number three. So what preparation, if all of this intent goes into this meeting, what preparations have we made? Well, we've already mentioned one critical one. We've invited a gentleman, Paul Sane, to be with us. Many, many gospel meetings he's preached in his life. And yet, we've invited him, and he has allocated this time on his calendar to be with us. We were going to have special services on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, even an unusual one on a Wednesday night compared to the normal. Sunday afternoon, these unusual things, our focus again is to herald the gospel. As you notice on the bottom of that slide, it prepares us then for the following idea. The speaker is not an entertainer. We didn't invite him to come here just to share with us bear tales and stories and do magic tricks and entertain us. That's not the idea. We've invited him to come and bring the gospel to us. And it excites us to think that he'll do it. But all of that highlights in this one final thing. We've talked about the speaker and we've given some impression as to the reason we're having the meeting. Starting though with the bottom, number four, the question comes to, to you and me personally. What's my obligation to this meeting? What about yours? This meeting is being held not at another congregation, but it's us. 
the meeting, of course, if it's to be successful, you and I will have to have a rather notable part in it. What is my obligation? What is my responsibility? And what about yours? Well, let's develop that in the following way. May I suggest first, we believe very critically in the power of prayer. Be praying for the meeting, please. Pray for the speaker. Pray that his preparation will go smoothly. Pray that the particular lessons he has selected that will be developed in a way to be most needful for all who are present. Having attempted to preach meetings through the years, I understand those kind of things, and I know he would appreciate your prayers in light of those objectives. May I also say, pray that there will be individuals present who will in fact be in a position with a fertile heart to respond to the message that's given. May I again say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You and I know that's true or else we wouldn't pray. Let's pray then that this meeting, not only by way of speaker, by way of lessons delivered, but by way of those in attendance, that it will bring forth the fruit that God would wish it to bring. In that light, be sure to pray that God's will will be done. Now, we understand that that's always a vital thing because He knows far better than we. As those kind of ideas are present, we certainly would lean upon the power of one stronger than we. Not only, though, may I say that we have an obligation to pray for this meeting, at the bottom you'll notice that Paul expressly urged Christians of the first century along that very same line. In Colossians 4, for example, beginning in verse number 2, Paul commanded them, pray for us. And yet in some ways, as Paul came into the Colossian area, that was a kind of gospel meeting and he urged them, pray for us. May you and I do the same. May we add to that, though, the following. There's more, though, that you and I have in terms of obligation than merely the prayer for the gospel meeting. We are, in fact, in a position that we are urged by way of the Bible to support this meeting. Let's develop that thought like this. Our elders have chosen to make this a reality, this gospel meeting. And yet you and I are told we must obey them, Hebrews 13, 17. So the elders have asserted that this is a gospel meeting we're going to have. And we as a congregation, it's not just a gospel meeting for the elders. It's for all of us. I've got to be here. If my health permits, I've got to be here. If circumstances in life do not detain me in some specifically providential way, we need to be here. This meeting is on behalf of the Pippin Church of Christ. We have obligation to support it, to make sure that we endorse that which takes place. Maybe on occasion you have been to circumstances, and I have as well. When you go to a gospel meeting, this congregation has announced this meeting. They've made plans and preparation for it, and three-quarters of the membership's not even there. What kind of impression does that give about that meeting? Do you think their heart was in it? Do you really think they were committed to what the meeting was all about? It's easy to tell whether a congregation 
is really supportive of the meeting or not. You can tell it the instant you walk in the door. Brethren, we've got to support this meeting. We've got to put our heart into it. Invite people to come. Pray for it. And as you do that, rest assured, we're going to feel just like Paul did. I planted, Apollos watered, but God will give the increase. Let's don't be disappointed. There may not be anybody that walks down this aisle during the meeting. We hope there are. If there's not, though, there could be seeds of truth dropped in the hearts of people. We may never see the results of the meeting. That person may obey the gospel two weeks from now at another congregation. That person may be drawn closer as a Christian to God, though you and I never, in fact, saw them walk down the aisle. May I say that when you and I give thought to it, we've got, though, to set an atmosphere, an atmosphere of friendliness. Let's make sure to greet all the visitors that do come. Let them know we're thankful they're here. Let them know they're always welcome to visit with us. I might be quick to say if they find a place that's unfriendly, it's not likely they're going to come back. We need to make sure to warmly greet those that visit with us. And as we warmly greet them, may we also say, for those that we know that are not Christians, that are not faithful to the Lord, it wouldn't at all be inappropriate to just very tactfully and kindly encourage them, did you think about that lesson? If I can study with you or help you in any way, I hope you'll let me know. Our elders here, as well as all of us, are thrilled at the thought of what, what this gospel meeting allows us to, to make possible. On that slide, in terms of our attendance, this is again a good time to make a reminder. This meeting is a mere seven days away now. Have you cleared your calendar for the week of May the 6th? If at all you can, have you already made plans to be here so that nothing will come up on the spur of the moment which, well, I can't go tonight. I've already cleared it to the point where nothing that I can control is going to come up. That which is unexpected at least. It's something to think about, isn't it? The commitment and the features that surround our support of this gospel meeting, that will determine by and large, the kind of atmosphere and sense that's going to be presented. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, there's some verses, especially from the Psalms, that are certainly worthy of our immediate reflection. In verse number 2 of the longest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119, the psalmist said, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. What does that sound like? A blessing pronounced upon those individuals who in fact are so determined to seek the Lord that that seeking is described as being in terms of the whole heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 Some additional verses in the Psalms. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 97 of that same chapter. Verse 140 reads like this, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Verse 151 and 152 describes it, God's law is the truth. This gospel meeting is a reminder of what that truth is and how blessed we are.
to be a Christian and to be able to endorse and to support a gospel meeting like this one. As you'll see near the bottom of that slide, one last thing I'd suggest. When we do make that commitment to be present, while we're here, let's be sure to participate. I need to be singing. When the prayer is led, all of us need to be praying. For instance, when the singing's taking place, it's not for everybody else to sing and for me to play on my phone or to do something else. We're here to worship God. We're here to direct the focus of our heart to Him. Didn't Paul say, I'll sing with the Spirit and I'll sing with the understanding? 1 Corinthians 14, 15. That same verse mentions the same thing about prayer. So it's our desire that for we ourselves and all who may be present to appreciate a group of people who so love God, they love communing with Him by way of song, by way of prayer, by way of His Word. And so let's be committed to participate in all the ways that relate, of course, to our service and our worship. That will not only strengthen us, but it will rightly exalt God. One final thing on that slide then. It's our goal to maintain an environment that's conducive to worship. For everybody that's present, not only we, but any visitors that come, we want everything always to be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. We want it to be an atmosphere in which we encourage others and everybody that's here to be drawn closer to God. The devil, you see, wants us to be happy with this world, to be content here, to be rather satisfied with it. That's easy to see usually in the demeanor and behavior of a person, and yet we want others to know this world is not our home. We look for a place that is described in the Bible as being fairer than day. We look for a place that we sing about that old sweet by and by. We want them to know that we trust in a message that can get us from here to there. And it's the only message that can do that. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. And so, I hope this lesson has been a reminder about the nature of this gospel meeting, what it's all about, why we're having it. Let's close that slide and summarize our lesson then like this. Bring your Bible. This is a gospel meeting. That six-letter word gospel is what it's all about. So may I encourage you to have a Bible handy and thus as Brother Sane refers to things in it, we're going to now remind ourselves of these. This gospel meeting is not merely an annual tradition. We excitedly look forward to proclaiming the gospel. As we do that, we're going to participate. We'll be here, and we're going to, in fact, pray about the meeting, encouraging others to come and be a part of it with us. Today, though, may I offer this invitation. If there's anyone in the audience, and right now your life isn't what it ought to be, don't wait for the meeting. Why not obey the gospel today? The world may not last till next Sunday. If it does, we're going to have a gospel meeting. But if it's not, we've got to be ready now. If there's anyone here who's never become a Christian, and you know you need to, 
Today's the finest day there could be, the 29th day of April, 2018. The day you put on Jesus in baptism. You've got to believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of the sins in your life. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. That's the Lord's plan of salvation. As you do that, He'll add you to the church and you will be in then position to walk faithfully till death and heaven will be your final destination. If you've become a Christian though and you aren't living faithfully, you know, you know it. There's not a question about it. By comparing your life with the Bible, you know it does not compare favorably. It's not the Bible that changed. You did. Come back to your first love, won't you? Jesus does love you. He shed His blood for you. He died for you. He purchased a church for you. And He leaves the decision to you. Will you turn your back on Him again? Will you, in fact, make a statement of uncaring disposition to what He did for you? Don't live like that. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10 verse 10 reads, and He of course wants to take you to heaven, but that decision is left to you. If you need to come back to your first love today, we'd be delighted to pray to God on your behalf. We'd be honored to again pray those things, and upon your confession and repentance, He'll reinstate you to a position of sanctification, holiness, purity, and salvation. If we could help you today in that way, we would thrill at the thought of doing it. We would only ask you let us know how we can and do it at once while together we stand and sing.